Ladies, we have been so excited, like Nicole said, for everyone to get here. And it's such a fun moment for me, and I know for Nicole too, when we get to this point, you know, in all of our getting ready for you to get here, and we've been doing that all weekend, or all week, and you getting ready, and like I said, we know that's probably crazy, especially if you've got little ones, or you've got a job, and all these different things, but what happens is, us getting ready for you to come, and you getting ready to come, when we finally get here all in this place, it like collides together, right? And so to be able to look at your faces, and know more than just names, because some of you I've never met before, and to just see you in this space that we've come to love so much, it's just beautiful. So it's just a really beautiful thing to get to be here. And I know, I know that God's gonna do some really amazing things. I've got this great hope and this great expectancy. One of our team members asked me this afternoon, she said, are you nervous? I said, no. I said, I'm not nervous. I said, I've just got this great expectancy in my heart that God is gonna do some really great things. Things that only can happen when the Holy Spirit's here, right? And we know that he's here. We have asked him repeatedly all week that we've been here since Sunday to just come and fill this place. Uh, not to freak you out or anything, but we've been in your bedrooms praying over you by name. We do prayer tours every night when we're here. And we walk through this house and we pray over certain things and we, and we pray over each of you by name in your room. And we want this to be a time that God really speaks to you and that you really have some incredible moments with him. Because we know... That all of our efforts, you know, and all of your efforts would be nothing if God's not here. We might have a really nice, sweet, you know, time in a lovely beach house. Girls, get away. It's always great to get away, right? But without the Lord doing his work, that's all it is. You know, just another girl's weekend beach getaway. But when he's here, amazing, amazing things happen. This is our fifth fall Bible getaway. The first year was such a treat to get to have it. I can't believe we're doing this now for, for five years, but God's done something really special every single year. There's only a handful of people, I think, here that have been here every year. Raise your hand if you've been here every year. Yes, it's just a handful of us. So it's, it's, you could testify to that, right? God has done some special things every year, and I know he's going to this year too. When we left here last uh, year on Sunday, we really didn't know if we were gonna do this again. We hadn't decided that yet, and a lot of the reason for that was because God had not clearly spoken to us about that. We were, we were praying through it, we were hoping he would, but we really didn't know. And that day, that afternoon, on the ride home, God very clearly spoke that we were gonna have Fall Bible Getaway 2018, and that the theme would be hope. So I want to share that with you because even as we begin this weekend gathered together in this amazing place, the reality that we're even here is a testimony to a hope fulfilled, right? We were hoping and God answered. It's so good. But here's the thing. If God had said no and he didn't bring us all together here and he didn't answer our prayer with a yes of what we wanted, there'd still be reason to hope in him, right? Because hope, what we're going to find this weekend as we talk about this and dig into his word, it is not based on circumstances turning out the way that we want them to and getting our desires fulfilled. Hope is about anchoring our souls in the goodness of God expressed through Jesus and the ways that he works in our lives. And this weekend, God has brought us together. I know that he has to anchor every one of our souls in hope. And he's going to do that. 
as we posture ourselves in his word and we lean into him and settle ourselves in to just listen to his voice and fellowship with him throughout the weekend. So some of you, as I'm looking around, we're meeting for the very first time. There's a few of you I still haven't even gotten to say hello to yet, and, and I don't know you. I've, I've never met you. And I say we when I say we're meeting you for the first time because it's our staff, like Nicole said. It's also the people who have been here before. Raise your hand if you've been to Fall Bible Getaway ever before. So it usually works out every year. It's about half and half, right? About half of the people are here, maybe been here before, and then um, some brand new people. And so we welcome you as a brand new person. And we want to say we also because this event is a part of Established Footsteps. And so it's a part of something bigger than just this event happening this weekend. Um, Established Footsteps, just want to introduce that for those of you who are brand new to us. It's a nonprofit uh, ministry that we started 12 years ago. And the purpose of Established Footsteps is really to come alongside people and encourage them to establish their footsteps in God's word. And so if you're just getting acquainted with us, I want you to know we consider it such a privilege, such a privilege to get to walk alongside of you, such a privilege to get to pour out the word in people's lives. So whether this is your first time or whether or not you're just, you've, you've come back, we're just glad you're here. And I hope you know that speaking from established footsteps, it really is a privilege. But I do want you to know, especially if you're new, the rest of you already know this, out of everything we do, Fall Bible Getaway is my favorite thing. So it brings all my favorite things together. And so I've just been really pumped for this weekend. And I also say that about this specific year because hope is such a part of my own personal story. I really believe that I am a living testimony of how God can build deep in your heart build hope deep in your heart how he can take you from being hopeless and really being a person who lives anchored in hope i remember very very clearly the day that i made a decision to live with a conviction of hope and that was the day that god began to convince me that he had better things for me he had better things in his heart for me Better things than being tossed around in all of this disappointment and discouragement and despair that just seemed to come at me day after day. That day, a living hope started anchoring my soul in God's goodness. And our prayer, knowing that all of us are coming from different places, right? Different things going on in our lives. But our prayer is that this weekend when we leave, every one of us are going to have our souls anchored into this hope. So to do that this weekend, we're going to settle ourselves into a passage of scripture found in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6. I know Nicole in her last email encouraged you to read that, and so hopefully you got a chance to do that. Even if you didn't, you're going to know that chapter by the end of the weekend. It's going to be our focus for the weekend together. And that's why we call this the Fall Bible Getaway, right? We're going to be in God's Word this weekend. So before we even eat dinner, we wanted to begin to direct our hearts, right, into what God wants to begin to say to us in this passage. So I already see you reaching into your folders and all those kind of things. That's so good. Let me just make a note. We did give you a folder on your bed. Hopefully you brought it with you up here, and you'll want to bring that folder to any of our um, group study times because we've got all kinds of stuff in there for you. I hope that you've also got your Bible. Um, and if you do, make sure you open to Hebrews chapter 6. 
But I want you to know, in that folder, I've given you a copy of Hebrews 6 from the New American Standard Bible version, okay? And the reason I do that is because I'm teaching from that version, and we're going to specifically refer to different wordings of phrases and things like that. So I want you to have it as a reference for yourselves as well. So have your Bible out, but definitely have out that sheet as well. Also, you might have a journal that you take notes in. That's great. Maybe you're not even a note taker. But if you are and you want something to take notes on, we've provided a sheet for you for each one of the sessions. And the first one is right there on that uh, right-hand side. The, the other one, uh, the, the Hebrews 6 readout of that is actually on the left-hand side. So are we good? Everybody know where we're at doing all of that? Good. So we're going to spend the weekend looking at the whole chapter. We'll go through it verse by verse in lots of different ways. But as we start, I really want us to head right into verse number nine. And I'm going to read it for you. It says, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. Did you hear those two words, better things? Better things. Say that with me out loud. Better, better things. things. We're going to be talking this weekend, all weekend, about better things. You know, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Most of the Bible books, we do know who God used to write that book, but we actually don't know about the book of Hebrews. Actually, um, some people believe that God used a woman to write the book of Hebrews, and maybe God didn't let us know that because he knew that everybody couldn't handle that, right? So we don't know, we won't know, so we got to heaven, so do with that whatever you want to, I don't know. But we're just going to, I just want you to know that we're going to speak of it this weekend as God being the author, because he's the author anyway, right? The Bible's very clear, even when he uses men to write scripture, he guides their hands, he tells them what to write, and that's what they write down. So God's the author, we'll speak of it in that way. But it's important to note that God was writing the book of Hebrews to um, Hebrew Christians. In other words, he was writing to Jewish people who had decided to believe in Jesus. And it's important to note that whoever he did use to write it, they included themselves in the mix. Because if you read the whole book, they continually refer to themselves as a part of the group. They say, we, all of the time. Now, knowing that this was written by a Jewish believer to Jewish believers is going to help us understand the whole conversation about hope that's going to follow. And whoever that God was using to write this was obviously convinced that God had better things for them than what they were currently living out and experiencing, that God had more. In fact, that's how the whole chapter begins, with really a call to more, a call to better. So I want us to now go to the beginning, and I want to note for you, we're not going to actually read it, but if you were to read the end of chapter 5, you would find some verses there about uh, the writer saying that, you know, it's time to grow up. It's time to stop drinking milk and eat some meat, all right? So he's talking about what they're taking in spiritually. He's saying, I should be able to feed you meat, and you're still a baby. I'm still having to give you a bottle. And then he begins chapter 6 by saying, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. So between the end of chapter 5 
and the beginning of chapter six, there's this definite call up, right? There's a definite call to grow up, to mature, to experience more. And it's not that the things that he lists here are not important. I mean, because you go, okay, well, repentance and faith and baptism, and that, those are like really important things. And he's saying, let's, let's move on beyond these things. It's not that those things are not important. God just wants us to know those are the beginning things. There's more than that. So he doesn't want us to stop at just the foundational things and never move on to the better things. In December, um, I'm going to be moving into a new house, and I'm super excited. It's been a huge gift from God, and that's a whole other story. But the foundation of that house is very important. Without the foundation, there would have been nowhere to build the beautiful kitchen in my new house. There wouldn't have been anywhere to build the, the beautiful windows or, or the new shower that I really, really love. But I don't want to live in the foundation of that house. <laughs> I'd be very upset if the builder had stopped there, right? Because who wants to live in the foundation? The better things come on top of the foundation. The foundation is super important. You can't have the better things without the foundation, but nobody wants to live in the foundation. And we understand that when we're talking about a house. God wants us to understand it when we're talking about our faith and our lives. See, one of the reasons that the book of Hebrews was written was to come alongside the Jewish believers and to call them up to more, beyond the foundation, to the better things. Their history, if you've studied the Hebrew nation at all in the Old Testament, their history as a nation was steeped in religious, ceremonial, ritualistic practices and sacrifices. But what happened was that so many of them brought that exact same thing right into their relationship with Jesus. They, did, they didn't know how to do it any other way. They didn't know how to relate to God outside of following rules, right? And jumping through the hoops and, and checking off certain boxes. So many of them turned the very foundational things that are listed in these first three verses into these ceremonies, into these practices that they just did, but their hearts were not really connected to them. They thought that those were the things that that's all there is. And you know what? We don't have to look very far around us to see the exact same thing happens today. For many people in our world today, their experience as a Christian is all about checking the boxes of the foundational things. Repentance, baptism, saying certain prayers, church attendance, that dynamic, it still happens. Where people just stop. They do those foundational things. They might even do them on a regular basis. They might do them for 60 years, but they never move past any of that. But let's keep reading, because for some of the believers, it got even worse than that. We, we find that what happened was they had tasted all this good stuff of God, but then they actually started to fall away. In verse 4, it says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. So all these like good things about being in God. So all this stuff, it says, and then have fallen away. Now, one of the things that I have seen and experienced over the years is that when people fall away from their faith, it happens really in two ways. It happens on the inside of them in the way that they're thinking and, and processing things in their hearts, but it also happens externally in their behavior. And it can happen in a lot of um, fashions on the inside of a person's heart and mind. But I think for the, the Jews here, and just from some other research and thing I won't get into all right now, I think a lot of it was that they started believing that the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough. They kept making the sacrifices, right? 
So all of their existence, the, their history as a nation, they had been called to sacrifice a lamb or a pigeon or a, you know, a bull for the sacrifice of the sins. And so Jesus died for them. But in their mind, they're thinking that's not enough. I've still got to do that. I've still got to do this. Or I just don't measure up. Sure, it's a gift, but I need to do something else to measure up in God's sight. They were striving, trying to measure up. You know what? I did that for years in my own relationship with Jesus. I didn't fully understand the gospel. And even though I'd been taught it at eight years old, I fell away from that as I strived to, 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 to be enough for God, right? So maybe he would want to save me when Jesus had already died for me. So all that was happening on the inside for me. I'll tell you more about that later. But that's what was going on here. But what about externally? You know, a lot of times when you're falling away from your faith on the inside of your heart and mind, it starts showing up on the outside. You start falling away into sinful lifestyles and just kind of counting on God's grace to cover that. And I can tell you, I have certainly done that as well. It's crazy, isn't it, when you really stop and think about it, to think that people can experience this kind of stuff. You can be enlightened and taste the heavenly gift and be made a partaker of the Holy Spirit and taste God's word and then fall away. But it happens. It absolutely happens. And both of these kinds of falling away, what this is telling us here in verse 6 is that they shame the sacrifice of Jesus. For instance, if you're falling away in your heart and mind thinking his sacrifice isn't enough, you're saying Jesus' sacrifice isn't enough. Or the other side with, your, with, with behavior like that, it's, it's basically saying that, you know, you've got a lot of pride saying, I'll just take, you know, what I want. And the greed of just give me, give me what you did, Jesus, I'll just live how I want to live. It's serious stuff. That's why verse 6 continues like this. And then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Now, I want to make mention, verses 4 through 6 are some of the most argued about verses in the Bible. Okay? And honestly, I didn't want to teach this part. You know, I wanted to just jump on to chapter uh, verse 9 and start from there. But you can't do that in Bible study. And I'm so glad that we're not doing that because God has a good word. This sounds really heavy right now. And I know you're probably thinking, what in the world have I come into? And that's okay because God has a really good word for us. And there's something so good about digging in and seeing what he has to say. People argue about these verses because some say, well, then that's very clear. You can lose your salvation, right? It says it's impossible if you fall away to be renewed again to repentance. But others argue that doesn't make sense because the rest of the Bible is very clear. Salvation's a gift and God's not going to take his gift back and, and he seals that, that gift. If you were here last year, you know when we were in Ephesians 1, I mean we found out we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the Bible's very clear about that. But I'll be honest with you because it sounds so direct like that, I stumbled over these verses for many years and I, I would land on that and I would be like, I just don't know about that right? Because I do believe that once I'm saved, I'm saved. But then it's like, huh, I'm just not sure. But the more that I have meditated and studied this and thought on that and really leaned into what God had to say, God began to show me this is not about losing our salvation. Salvation is a gift from God that he does not take back. And once we receive it, it is ours forever. The Bible gives word of that over and over and over again. But here's what God has shown me. The Bible clearly teaches there are many ways that we mishandle our salvation. 
The first eight verses of this chapter are describing some of those ways. And like I said, I know this is heavy, but stick with me because there's a good word here for us ladies. I really believe if we want to fully understand verses 9 through 20, all about hope, we have to understand this. These verses help us to see that this was written to Hebrew Christians. They were saved, but many of them were missing out because they were mishandling their salvation. So God was calling them up to more. They couldn't lose their salvation, but they could certainly miss out on some of the better things, right? That God wanted to do in their lives that accompany their salvation. And here's the thing for us, we can miss out too. We can too. I believe that God is so clearly speaking this weekend a word of better things not just to the Hebrew Christians sure we're studying what was written to them but this is a timeless living word and it's for us too God wants to call us to better things if he has you here he has an appointment and a message for you this weekend that he has better things in your life that's why verse 9 goes on to read but beloved we're convinced of better things concerning you things that accompany your salvation so better things better things we all long for better things right I mean we all do we long for better things whether they're trivial things or really meaningful important things we long for better things I know that every person that came in through the doors today you've got things in your life that you wish were better things that you wish God would change things that somehow you wish it could it could be a different dynamic or a different setup or, or whatever it is do you know God does too. He wants those better things for you. When he saved you, it wasn't just about trying to get you to heaven one day. Oh, it's about that. That's a huge part of it. But it is also about restoring, restoring the better things he had in mind for you when he created you in the first place. The Bible is clear. We were created in his image. When he created man and woman, he put them in the Garden of Eden. The word Garden of Eden actually means pleasure, right? The, the title of that place means pleasure and it was his purpose and plan that we would live in his glory in the pleasure of his glory and blessing flowing us over us all of our days that the riches of his life would be our full experience as well now we all know i'm thinking we all know right that satan used sin to steal that and if you have ever been caught in the mayhem and the swirling around and all the turmoil that comes from sin, and I know that you have, and I have too, because we all have, you know, right? It can seem hopeless that things could ever get better for you. We can convince ourselves that the way things are is the way things are gonna have to be. We can convince ourselves there's no way out, there's no hope, nothing better in store, and we start thinking like that, we start talking like that, we start acting like that, and before long that just becomes our normal, right? We just live like that. But ladies, that is not true. And this weekend, God wants to speak hope that he has better things. So when he says in this verse, verse 9, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany your salvation, what he's saying is there are all kinds of benefits and perks that come along with this gift I've given you. Don't you love it when you buy something or you get something and you get all this extra stuff with it? That's what he's saying. I gave you salvation, but you have no clue how many perks, how much good stuff comes along with what I've given you. And he's calling these believers and he's calling us and saying, don't miss out on them. You know, 
I imagine that we all have things in our lives that seem hopeless. Some of them might be big things. Some of them might be little things that maybe nobody else would know about but you and it's just something that you just wish would change. Maybe it's a combination of both. Maybe it's something that's just happened recently in your life and it's just really like thrown you. Maybe it's something you've been dealing with as long as you can't remember. But we all have places in our lives where we've just settled into believing this is just the way things are going to have to be. We've tasted the good word of God. We've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. We've seen his power in multiple ways in our lives. But even though we're saved, we know God's goodness. You know what? We so easily can fall away into a place of lesser things instead of better things. It can happen to all of us. And we don't like to think of ourselves as somebody that falls away, right? We don't like to think of ourselves as someone like that, but it's true. And you know what? So many times our falling away happens in our hearts and minds on the inside of who we are. We start striving with God, entertaining various reasons and thought patterns of ways that we don't measure up. You know, lessening the gift of Jesus' sacrifice in our lives. Or we start falling into various sin patterns in our lives. And you know why we do that? Most of the time, the root of that stuff is hopelessness. Because that hopelessness hurts. There's pain that comes with that hopelessness. And so you can't get God to do anything about it, it seems. And so you start reaching over here and reaching over here and reaching over here for something, something to take the pain away. And here's the thing, once we fall away, either internally or externally or both, it's very hard to get back up, right? In fact, it's impossible. It's that old commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up, right? And it, that's, that's very true. I can tell you from personal experience, when I fall into a pattern in my mind, my thought pattern or my heart pattern of striving, with God, it's really impossible for me to get out of that on my own. Or if I fall into a sin pattern and, and I, I just can't seem to correct that, I'll make a decision on Monday morning, I'm going to do it like this, and by Monday afternoon I've already fallen away again, right? I can't change myself. I can't get myself up out of those pits. It's impossible. And no one else can do it either. And I believe that's why verse 6 reads like that. It's impossible to renew them to repentance. The writer is saying it's impossible for, for me. It's impossible for man to renew them to a repentance. Have you ever tried to talk a sin-bound person into not sinning? Like they're headed towards sin and you're trying to say that is not a good idea and they won't listen to you? It's impossible. Have you ever tried to talk a religious person into freedom? That's impossible. Have you ever tried to talk a hopeless person into hope? It's impossible. When a person sets their mind, their will, and their emotion in a certain direction, changing that seems impossible, and it is. And that's why verse 6 reads like that. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Repentance is changing your mind. It's turning completely. The writer was saying, I can't change their mind. I can't renew them to repentance. That's impossible. But he knows that God can because nothing is impossible with God. That's another word that the Bible says over and over and over again. Nothing is impossible with God. And that's why I believe he said in verse number three, this we shall do, meaning moving forward, maturing, this we shall do if God permits. 
And he will go on to share in the following verses, God will definitely permit. (laughs) He will definitely permit. In fact, he will give his own life to make sure he grants permission for you to have change for the better things in your life. So that's a lot of how to start the weekend. And like I said, I would have rather just jumped into all the fluffy stuff, right? (laughs) But we have to start where God starts and where this begins because God has some things for us. So what does that mean for us for the weekend as we begin? First, I know that these verses describe probably all of us in one way or another. How do I know that? Well, I'm 52 years old. I've lived long enough myself, right? I've been in ministry long enough to know that if we are honest with ourselves, and if we're honest before God, there are probably descriptions of all of us in what we just read, right? We probably have places where we're just like whiny baby brats, okay? There there are probably places where we have fallen away, either internally or externally or me even both. We can easily just get stuck in these kind of patterns in our mind and behavior. Secondly, I know, and I want you to know this from the very beginning, because I'm going to be doing a lot of teaching this weekend, but I know that I am powerless to change anything in my own life and in your life as well. It's impossible for me. I can't say the right words, tell the right story, pray the right prayer, but I know that I know that I know that God can do that. I know that his word can change and renew and heal and set free and redeem and restore and all those better things that we long for. And I want you to know that because I'm just a messenger. I'm just expounding on what God himself wrote here in his word to his people. And third, I am convinced that God has better things for all of us. Things that accompany our salvation, many things. There's so much hope for the better things when we live in the sweet center of the gospel. So as we begin, in light of those things, here's the question that I believe God wants to ask all of us. So here's the question, get ready for it. What is the posture of your heart gonna be this weekend? We haven't read verses seven and eight yet. We're gonna do that right now because they metaphorically describe the posture of people's hearts in two different ways. So let me read these for you. It says, For ground that drinks the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Now, rain is often used in scripture to describe the blessings of God, the good things of heaven falling out upon us. So verse seven is used to describe an open heart, the heart that's yielding to God, for ground that drinks the rain, right? That often falls upon it. To see it as a heart that's saying, I wanna take in all of your blessings, God. And what happens when it does do that? Well, it says right here, it brings forth vegetation that is useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled and it receives a blessing, right? See, when we keep moving forward, when we keep maturing and pressing on past the foundational things of the gospel, not getting stuck in religious practices and not allowing ourselves to fall away, we move on to the better things and the blessings of heaven accompany our salvation and they start growing up beautiful things in our lives and we get to partake of those things and the people around us do as well. But the description of verse 8 is the exact opposite. It's about a hard heart, 
a closed heart. It says, but if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed. And it ends up being burned. Now, worthless in the fact that they have no value to God? No. But worthless in the fact that the purpose of their lives is not ever grabbed hold of. See, this hard heart yields thorns and thistles. Why does it yield that? Because the rain of heaven falls on it, but the heart is so hard that that rain cannot penetrate that. If you've ever lived in an area where the ground is hard, I lived in Georgia where it was brick clay, the rain would just roll right off of it. And all you'd get is weeds coming up here and there. That's exactly what this is. So there's nothing of benefit there. And so it becomes described as worthless, meaning there's, there's, there could have been beautiful things growing up here, but we didn't get anything there. And then it says close to being cursed and ends up being burned. I mean, that's like heavy language, right? But you know what that reminds me of? That is so in line with what 1 Corinthians 13, um, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about where it clearly is describing believers who have fallen away, who have lived for this world and not lived for the things and the purposes that God created them for. And it says like during the end times, that the fruit of their lives is going to be burned up in the fire here because none of it is, is worthwhile for eternity. So it all gets burned up and then it describes them as barely escaping the flames. So in other words, you're saved, you go to heaven, but boy, your, your coat is singed. Like you barely get through the door without the fire catching your behinds, okay? I mean, that's what this is, is saying here. And so it's describing this person that's falling away. They don't lose their salvation, but they take nothing of value eternally with them and they barely make it through the gate without getting burned. It doesn't say that they get burned. It says, it, it says, and it ends up being burned. Those are the fruit of their lives, but they're close to being cursed. It doesn't say that they are cursed, but they're close because nothing of value. They haven't had an open heart. Definitely not God's best for us. Definitely not pressing on to live in the better things. Hebrews 6 is such a gift of a chapter. Such, such a place of getting our attention as believers and saying, do you know what you have? Do you know what you have? Do you realize all that your salvation is really intended to do? Do you understand the better things that come along with this gift? This chapter, it's going to cause us to ask ourselves, have I just never grown up? Have I fallen away from the things of God? Am I settling for less than when God is saying I have more than? Are there areas in my life where I've really just come to believe the sacrifice of Jesus is not enough? As we begin this weekend, God wants every one of us, ladies, to open our hearts. I believe these verses give us these two metaphors so that we can say, I don't want to be the one with the closed heart. I want to be the one with the open heart. To say, God... Let your blessings fall on me. God, to say, it, it is impossible for me to change things in my life, God, but I know that you can, and I've come away with you this weekend for you to do that. Chapter 6 was written not to condemn, but to say to us, God does permit change. He does permit change. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants us to experience the better things. The question is, will we open up our hearts and allow that in our lives? So our time together right now, as we begin, before we eat dinner even, is a call from the Holy Spirit to say, will you open your heart?
Will you be a ground that drinks the rain of heaven that's going to fall upon it, not missing a drop? I want to practically share with you just a couple ways that you can do that. Because it's one thing to say, oh, Jesus, I've got an open heart. But what is that going to look like here? Nicole alluded to it a little bit. It's going to look like being present, right? Physically being present. Everything that we're doing this weekend has got intentionality planned into it. So you don't want to miss any of it. So be present. But how many of us know you can be present physically and be a million miles away in your heart? So it's not just being present physically in the room. It's being here, being engaged, right? Being engaged with what God is trying to say. And, and Nicole alluded to this too, but let me speak into it just for a second as well. With the whole cell phone thing, right? You know, it, it, it's one of those things that we each have to make a decision. We've all got different life circumstances and we're not going to be the cell phone police by any means, right? But it's very difficult to be fully present here and also present somewhere else, okay? So you might need to leave your phone on to get in touch with your husband or if he needs you or your kids or whatever. Not, I, I get that. But just texting here and there and being on social media stuff, I just call you. Open your heart and say, God, I am going to set that aside. And you might even want to do this. Maybe before we have dinner, maybe snap a selfie of yourself, put it on your Facebook or your Instagram, whatever, and just say, hey, I'm at this amazing retreat this weekend, the Fall Bible Getaway. I'm checking out because I want to be fully present with God. Pray for me. I'll send some pictures on Sunday. And then save them. And then certainly share them and put our hashtag in on them, you know? But, but be here. Be here so that you're not distracted. So being present will be an open heart. The other part is to open up your heart, okay? We're not here to do this individually. There's going to be individual times, and, and you want to be present for those individual times. Like, you need to get up and do the devotion in the morning, like that. But, but when we're together to open up, and that doesn't just mean you sharing all your stuff, but it means open up your heart to let other people share their things too, right? And there's this sweet sisterhood. People that have been here before, can you give a shout out for that? There's a sweet, yes, a sweet sisterhood that will develop here. If you will step in and open your heart up to the people around you. There's people around you you've never met before. You may never even see them again on the face of this earth physically. But there are so many ways to keep in touch outside of that, right? And God might have a gift of a friendship right here in this room for you that you don't even know about. You've got to open up to see some of the better things that he's going to have. So I encourage you to do that. God's going to show off for us this weekend as we open up our hearts. One of the things that we're going to be doing throughout the weekend is using some scripture cards to help us to pray our way through what we're learning. Okay? And so this is our card for now. I'm going to pass this basket around, and I want you to take this, and you can just put these in your folder and hang on to them. But this is a little girl, and our arms are open, and the rain is coming down. And it says, oh God, my heart is open to receive from you. Hebrews 6, 7. Because what does it say? For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls upon it. We're going to sing an old school song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Amber's going to lead us in worship all week, and we're so excited to have her doing that again this week, weekend. If you haven't gotten to know Amber, you will soon. She's an amazing young woman. But this needs to be the prayer of your heart. But you've got to choose for it to be the prayer of your heart. As we sing, let this be the prayer of your heart. Use this visual to be this young daughter of God saying, I want to open my heart before you. So let's pray this in our hearts as we sing this with our mouths. And then after that, we will have dinner. Thanks, ladies. All right, ladies, you can stand up. Y'all know how I roll. <laughs>